This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And we are going through meeting the candidates for the new general manager here with the New York Jets. And so, once we heard the name George Payton in Minnesota, I knew there was only one guy to turn to, and that, of course, is Arif Hassan, who covers the Vikings for the Athletic in Minnesota. Arif, thanks so much for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I was making this joke to you before we started recording, but I kind of feel like the Mike McCagnin almost Jets is in play with our karma here because every time we're going to do a podcast together, something happens. I reached out to you about coming on to do a podcast about Teddy Bridgewater, then the Jets traded him. Then I reached out to you about doing a podcast with Anthony Barr. He ended up reneging. At one point, you reached out to me about doing a podcast with you, and I wasn't able to do it. So finally, we're doing this podcast, and I figured we better get this done before George Payton decides he doesn't want to interview with the Jets. (laughs) Of course, yeah. So we will talk about George Payton, and hopefully he will at least accept an interview with the Jets this time because he refused their request back in 2013 when they hired John Idzik and back in 2015 when they hired Mike McCagnin. And if he does take the interview, I hope that the results are a little bit better than what happened with Anthony Barr. And by the way, before we get into this, <laughs> Arif, i got to ask you, have you heard anything new on that? Was it just he felt homesick or he didn't feel right about it? Because that's just such a weird situation. I thought you might have heard something being in Minnesota by now that maybe we haven't heard in New York. I've been curious. I know. It just sounds like you know he spent so much time uh, being, I mean, he was Mike Zimmer's first draft pick. He spent so much time being a part of building that defense up from, it was like 28th in the league before he arrived, uh, now to one of the top defenses in the NFL, that it felt wrong uh, to leave it, I think is just kind of what he thought. Um, so, uh, I mean, you guys ended up being kind of the unfortunate victims of that because he, he hemmed in hot a little bit, but, you know, hopefully, you know, uh, no one's going to feel sick, uh, coming over to, uh, uh, to, to general manage for the, uh, the New York Jets. Well, that's the thing. At least Anthony Barr made it to the point where he almost signed a contract. The two times that George Payton was requested for an interview by the Jets in the past, he flat out turned them down, like I said. So let's get into George Payton and his selectiveness before we get into the history. What's behind that? Why has he been so selective? He's almost been like Eric DaCosta, who sat behind Ozzie Newsom forever, kept getting requests over and over again to interview with teams, and would just swat them down like flies. He wasn't interested. He was sitting there waiting for that Ravens job to open up. Peyton hasn't been quite as selective, but he's been very selective, and he's told a lot of teams no, including the Jets twice. What's up with that? Yeah, he's told a lot of teams no, uh, at least uh, fairly early in the process, thankfully, so he doesn't like string them along. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot of reasons, apparently, for, for the selectiveness. As far as I can gather, you know, his family plays a big role. You know, he like genuinely sits down and consults with his wife about you know, whether or not each of these opportunities might be a good fit. And if it's not a good fit, he's not even going to go interview um, so that they can kind of uh, focus their efforts elsewhere. You know, I don't think that he uh, sees himself as a successor to Spielman because I don't think Spielman's, you know, close to uh, being booted or from retiring. You know, I don't think either of those things are, are, in the, are in the immediate possibilities for the Vikings. So I don't think it's about a succession plan like it was with Gutekunst, who I think also turned down a couple of people um, before taking over the the Packers job, and and like you said, DeCosta with with the Ravens, you know, I think it's more about you know finding what are appropriate fits. You know, he did end up 
you know, interviewing with a couple of teams. He interviewed with the San Francisco 49ers, which to me is an indication that he would have taken that job. Um, had had they offered it to him, they ended up going with uh, general manager John Lynch instead. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I think he's looking for a couple of things. Obviously, one that, that fits with his family. You know, I don't really actually know what his... Uh, his situation is with, like, how old his kids are, but, you know, if, for example, they're already off into college, it might be a little bit easier for him to move. Um, but, you know, that's one of them, and I think kind of control, how much control he has over the team, you know, is probably a big one, because if he can be this selective and keep getting interviewed, then he's obviously got kind of a lot of power over over what he wants to be able to do, and I think anybody taking a general manager job is going to want to have, you know, a lot of control. And, you know, with the rumors surrounding, you know, Gates and, and, and the power play, um, that, that he had of the Jets, you know, I don't know how important that's going to be. Um, but if he gets full control of the roster, that's going to be important. You know, what the team has in place, you know, whether or not Sam Donald is an appealing quarterback probably plays a role. You know, I know the Jets are going to have a ton of money in free agency for the next, uh, for the next signing period. So that's going to be, uh, probably another big part of the process. You know, how much you can kind of imprint on the team in terms of free agency signings and, uh, and draft picks and so on. So, you know, I think all of those will play a role. You know, how much of an impact you can have on a team whether or not it fits kind of the lifestyle that he's looking for uh, for his family uh, and, and what the structure of that team and ownership looks like. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I want to get into the origin of George Payton coming to the Minnesota Vikings because he showed up with Spielman. So they've been together a really long time. In fact, they were together in Miami, as you pointed out to me before we started recording. Tell me about how the two of them ended up in Minnesota, what the scene was like at the time and what they were walking into. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess uh, I, I guess when Spielman was was in Chicago way back in in two thousand one, or no, no, before two thousand one, in uh, in uh, ninety nine or ninety eight, um, he actually brought Peyton on below him. So Spielman was the director of pro personnel, ends up coming to Miami two thousand, and in two thousand one hires Peyton away from Chicago. Um, so Spielman was the vice president of player personnel. Peyton was just below him, uh, and then Spielman got promoted a couple of times in Miami, became the general manager in two thousand four. Uh, and then uh, came to the Vikings in 2006 uh, as the vice president of player personnel, and that was kind of an interesting situation. Um, so the Vikings had just gone through an ownership change, uh, and so they kind of got rid of, of everyone, including you know head coach Mike Tice, which a lot of Vikings fans are still kind of torn on because uh, because it could have been nice to have 
you know, uh, a coach with his experience. But, you know, with the ownership change, it was kind of nice for the Wolves to basically clean house, uh, replace um, general manager Fran Foley with what at the time was called the Triangle of Authority. And at that time, that meant that the head coach, the um, Rob Brzezinski, who's right now the capologist, um, so uh, the team president and the vice president of player personnel, uh, Spielman, they would collectively make these decisions together. They'd collectively put the big board together, collectively decide kind of what's going to happen in free agency and so on. Uh, and then and Peyton worked in the front office, um, I believe, as a director of pro personnel um, underneath uh, Spielman. And and that was, I mean, it was kind of rough. I mean, the Vikings were coming off of a very disastrous 2005 uh, and so, you know, they had, you know, the Love Boat scandal occurred that season. They had maybe the worst draft in Vikings history that season. Um, you know, they had, they had two first round picks, both ended up busting and, and the rest of the draft didn't look that great either. Um, and so, uh, I mean, it was, it was just a really rough, uh, time. And so they had to kind of clean a lot of things up, um, and, uh, you know, and get rid of some players and, and, and bring in some new blood to kind of change the culture of the team. Uh, and, uh, and obviously, you know, that it worked to, to kind of ebbs and flows, right? Because you know, the 2004 Vikings were great. 2005 Vikings were just kind of awful. Uh, and then beyond that, 06, 07, 08, 09, 10, 11, you know, and so on, you know, the Vikings kind of careened back and forth between being extremely competitive because of the talent they had on the roster and being, you know, very uncompetitive because they were kind of overpaying the players on the roster and so on. So in 2012, they promoted Peyton to, uh, they promoted, Spielman to general manager, and so he had sole control over the roster as opposed to the triangle of authority. Uh, and then after that, you know, Peyton got a promotion there, and then a couple years later, I think in 2016 or 2017, Peyton started getting his name thrown across, and he won a couple of awards for, for you know, his work in the front office. He started getting his name kind of thrown across as a potential general manager candidate, and he leveraged that, or Minnesota wanted to keep him. Uh, and they offered him uh, another promotion. So now he's the assistant general manager working directly under Rick Spielman. He gets, you know, more responsibility. He's both, uh, you know, it, he has his hands both kind of on the pro side and on the college side. Uh, and so, uh, you know, he's been a big part of a lot of these drafts that, you know, that have been, you know, extraordinarily successful for the Vikings. Um, so, you know, he played a big role in the draft that landed, you know, Xavier Rhodes and Anthony Barr and, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, who I'm sure they would have been happy to have had he not been injured. And, uh, and, and he's been kind of working with Spielman. It's kind of difficult to kind of disentangle, you know, who's responsible for what parts of that philosophy have developed, especially since the Vikings have kind of changed their model to accommodate what Mike Zimmer kind of wants on defense and, and, and grabbing those guys. So, uh, it's, uh, there's, there's, it's been a really long journey with, with Peyton and Spielman. Um, but it, it's produced, uh, you know, drafts that have been full of talent. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. So he's been involved in all aspects with Spielman, both with free agency and with the draft. Yeah, and from my understanding, his his history with Spielman has been 
more on the on the pro scouting side than on the on the college scouting side over the past three years. However, you know he, he's he's been involved kind of on both sides. So you would say that their relationship is more or less like the captain and his first lieutenant. Yeah, I think that's probably a pretty good analogy. Yeah. So as far as his relationship with the front office members besides Spielman and the coaching staff, he's pretty well in sync with them to the best of your knowledge? Yeah, no, and uh, and, and he's had, actually there's another rising star in the Vikings front office, uh, Jamal Stevenson, the director of college scouting. Uh, he's worked very closely with Jamal Stevenson. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if he ends up taking a job somewhere, if he tries to hire Stevenson as, a, as an assistant GM, I also wouldn't be surprised if the Vikings blocked that from happening. Um, so, uh, he, he might try to bring a couple of members of the, uh, uh, the front office over because he's worked very closely with a lot of them. Do you think it's possible that the Vikings would block Peyton from going at all? Because theoretically they could, unless the Jets were to offer him 53 man roster control, he'd have to have full roster control or they could theoretically block it if they wanted to. Do you think Minnesota thinks highly enough of Peyton to block him if it came down to it? I think part of their agreement in promoting him was that uh, to assistant GM was that they wouldn't block him except for a division rival because they haven't blocked him in the past except when the Green Bay Packers came calling and then they blocked the Packers. Um, so I think that that's part of the agreement that, and again, this is kind of speculation, but they just decided not to block him. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with the agreement to promote him comes in part with an agreement to not block him if it doesn't you know, involve um, a, a division rival. Let's talk about how the Vikings have built the roster under Spielman and Peyton, and we'll start with free agency. Tell me about some of the key pieces that they've been able to add in free agency. We obviously know about Kirk Cousins, but there are plenty of others. What are some of the hit and misses in the Spielman-Peyton era? Yeah, well, it seems like in free agency, the way the Vikings have kind of gone about it until very recently, like what you said with Kirk Cousins, uh, is to find, especially as they were building as a team, so kind of more directly relevant um, uh, to the to the Jets in the short term, is to find players who are 25 or 26 in free agency, and it's very rare to find a 25-year-old free agent, but you know what happens. Uh, 25, 26, or maybe 27, and sign them in the hopes that they'll kind of blossom. And that was a big part of, like, Linval Joseph, for example, so 25-year-old free agent uh, that they placed a high, high priority on. Uh, and, and kind of secure those players. I think Captain Munnerlin was another example of one of those players that was really relatively young entering free agency, and, and that was their priority. They didn't get a ton of veterans unless they had a lot of experience with uh, Mike Zimmer's system. So players like Terrence Newman, for example, you know, 36 or 37 when he's not, um, you know, those are guys that they'll come in because they can, you know, help be kind of coaches on the field. And so you ended up with a kind of a weird distribution of free agents where you didn't have a ton of 28, 29-year-olds we had like 32, 33, 34-year-olds and 25, 26, 27-year-olds. Those guys that they brought in, and a lot of those guys actually fit the same athletic profile as the uh, as the players that they brought in and, and drafted in. So they didn't just sign good players that were young because they were good. They, they signed players that had already fit kind of the athletic profile of what they're looking for. And so uh, from kind of the beginning, whenever they work with a new coach, They've um, they've always worked with the coach to try and grab kind of the same mold of player, whether it is in free agency or, or in the draft, instead of just 
you know, signing, say, Ultron Werner and, and playing him, you know, outside of the cover two system that he's familiar with, or Nambi Asamoa and, and playing him in his own system or something like that. They always try to make sure that the players they sign are, are relatively athletic, but definitely young so they can be part of the long-term plan and also kind of fit the mold of, of the overall player profile that they're looking for. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. They've typically done a good job of giving the head coach the type of players that he wants. Yeah, it seems so, especially because a lot of the free agents that they've brought in, you know, like, say, on the defensive side of the ball, you know, have performed, you know, remarkably well. You know, recently you can take a look at, you know, say, Sheldon Richardson. Um, but, you know, in the in the past, you could take a look at someone like Captain Munerlin uh, and, and see that they've done a really good job inside the uh, the system that the Vikings have put together. Um, or again, Terrence Newman, uh, and, uh, and generally they've done a pretty good job. Uh, on the offensive side, it's been difficult. I think a lot of that has to do with coaching. Um, they have gotten system fits, but they've just gotten through so many offensive, um, systems, not even just coordinators, but like different offensive line coaches that it's been difficult to, to maintain kind of the same system through and through. So they signed Alex Boone, who's pretty good for one year, and then he was no longer a system fit. For example, um, you know, they, they do go after players offensively, um, that, you know, kind of fill holes and, and fit that system. And I think for the most part, it's been more hits than misses. Like I would say maybe they overpaid Riley Reef a little bit, but he's been kind of a big asset on the offensive line. Uh, Mike Remmers, I think is a good right tackle, you know, playing him at guard that didn't work out, but that was just kind of a, they had like five offensive tackles and no guards. So they had to move one of them to tackle or one of them to guard. Um, but for the most part, it's been fine. I think that. When they, uh, look at, you know, a player like third wide receiver, right? The Laquan Treadwell is kind of one of the more famous busts of that regime. They need a third wide receiver. So they sign Aldrick Robinson, who's this great complement to, to what they do on the field because he's such a great deep threat. Um, and so they've been able to do a pretty good job of kind of isolating values in free agency, uh, and, and bringing them forward. And of course, with Kirk Cousins, that was just kind of the very obvious evaluation. I mean, the Jets were also interested. Yeah, we know. <laughs> I believe there's some video to prove that the Jets were interested in that. <laughs> Mr. Cousins decided he would prefer the Minnesota Vikings. But as far as the draft, because we talked about free agency, I was curious what the overall philosophy has been. Has it been best player available? Has it been plugging the holes? Have there been any specific positions that they put a real premium on in the draft? Tell me a little bit about this. Well, I would say it's a, it's a little bit of, of both in terms of drafting for need and drafting best player available. Um, I think that their kind of definition of, of best player available is a little bit different because they always think of those players kind of in the context of how they would perform on the Vikings. Uh, and so, which I think a lot of GMs very often don't. They just grab kind of the, the best rated player and then are not concerned about system fit. Um, so, uh, they, they do kind of go after, um, players that are more likely to be, you know, team needs, but they're also, you know, for example, that last year they drafted Mike Hughes, a cornerback when the Vikings didn't really need a cornerback, although 
in the long run, you've got Trey Wayne's contract kind of looming and Mackenzie Alexander's contract kind of looming, and he might replace kind of a long-term need. I can't think of a draft pick that they've made that you can't identify a need area for them within the next two years. So it's always been with that in mind. Um, but with a falling player, they're not afraid to kind of pull the trigger, which is kind of what happened with Shree Floyd. You know, he was projected as a top five pick or a top three pick, and he fell all the way down uh, to the Vikings. And the Vikings uh, were planning on picking Xavier Rhodes with that pick, decided to go with Shree Floyd just because of the remarkable talent he was and the fact that Kevin Williams is probably going to retire in a year or two. And then Indy picks Marcus Hunt, and Xavier Rhodes is still available, so they pick Xavier Rhodes. Uh, and then they wanted that pick to be Cordell Patterson, um, because they lost Percy Harvin in a trade to the Seahawks, which is why they had that second first round pick. Uh, and so they, they trade all the way up to get Cordero Patterson. Uh, so, you know, they're not afraid to take some of these chances if they've known they've got the ammo for it. Um, a couple of things that kind of stand out in terms of the draft tendencies is first, Spielman has always liked to get nine to 11 picks in a draft. There's only one time where he hasn't had at least nine picks and he's, and he's openly said he likes to have 10. Uh, and so he'll move around a lot in the third and fourth round. In fact, the Vikings have traded down in the third round every year uh, since, I want to say, 2010 or so uh, to grab more picks so they can get up to 10 picks. Um, so that's a big part of it. They tend to draft some of the youngest players available in the draft. This year, Irv Smith, I think, was the youngest player in the draft. A couple years ago, uh, Josh Robinson was the youngest player in the draft. Daniil Hunter was the youngest player in the draft. They tend to draft very young players, although they won't exclude old players, like Garrett Bradbury was a little bit older. Um, so they like to draft younger players because they've got a higher developmental ceiling, and they tend to draft um, players who are more athletic than their peers at the position. So Anthony Barr, Eric Kendricks, you know, these players have all run size-adjusted 40s much faster uh, than their contemporaries. Mike Hughes is a little bit of an above-average athlete. Trey Waynes obviously ran really fast at the combine. David Rhodes, remarkable athlete. They tend to draft really remarkable athletes until about the third or fourth round, and then they're willing to kind of go uh, for, for pure football players. Although, again, when you get to the sixth and seventh rounds, they'll bias themselves towards athletes again. There's a bunch of crazy draft tenants. I mean, Spielman's been with the team forever, so it's been very uh, fruitful to try and look for draft tendencies. Linebackers late in the draft, that always happens. Fifth, sixth, seventh round, they always draft a linebacker. Um, athletic defensive ends, they'll always draft in the third or fourth round. And yeah, that's how they got to Neil Hunter and Everson Griffin and, and so on. So um, a bunch of draft tendencies, but overall, young players, although that's not a hard rule, players that they see a spot for on the team within the next two years, and, uh, and players that tend to be above average athletes compared to the rest of their peers in the same draft spot. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. If you talk to virtually anybody that covers the Jets or knows a lot about them, they will tell you that a big part of the reason that this team has had so much trouble over the last decade is because they stopped hitting on draft picks in the mid-rounds or even really just past round one for the most part. It's been a consistent problem. Mike Tannenbaum when he was with Rex Ryan, then John Idzik, and then Mike McCagney, they've all struggled quite a bit in that area. Tell me a little bit about how Spielman and Peyton have done there. Have there been a steady stream of mid-round gems or even second and third round type guys that have come in and made a real impact? I know you mentioned a couple before with Griffin and Hunter, but have there been a significant number of them? I would say more than the average general manager in terms of in terms of the middle rounds, uh, excluding the offensive linemen. The Vikings have been famously bad at finding offensive linemen in the draft. But, uh, you know, from the second round, I think, has been particularly fruitful because they've grabbed Dalvin Cook and uh, Eric Hendricks in the second round. 
Uh, Mackenzie Alexander looks like he's about to about to experience kind of a because he finished the year really strong. He might experience kind of a bounce back year. Um, but the third round has been really kind of remarkable for them. Uh, Jarek McKinnon, Daniil Hunter. Um, you know, I guess it depends kind of how Pat Elfline does at guard. Uh, and then in the fourth round, they've grabbed you know players like Rhett Ellison, um, who I think has been a really great blocking tight end, and and you know New York paid him all kinds of money. Jarius Wright, who they extended the second contract to. Uh, you know, Ben Gedeon, who's right now a uh, starter in the base package, and Philip Johnson, who looks like he's about to take over either as the backup nose tackler or as the starting three technique. So they've been, I'd say, a little bit above average in, in those middle rounds. Not, you know, remarkably stellar, but, you know, a little bit above average, and they've grabbed players like Daniel Hunter and like Eric Hendricks in those rounds. What do you know about Peyton's personality? You think he could get along with Adam Gase? Um, maybe, you know, I, I don't, uh, I don't know a ton about Peyton. He doesn't have a ton of media availability or anything like that. I do know that he's worked in very, very collaborative atmospheres. So, you know, he'd be very open to working with Adam Gase. And I think it kind of depends on whether or not Gase wants to exercise a ton more control or not. Um, I think a coach that's willing to, to provide kind of the parameters for what he's looking for in a, in, um, in, in a draft prospect or in free agency, kind of just a profile. I want a player who's good at this. I want a player who's got this kind of length and so on, you know, and then kind of step back. And then in late in the draft process, we kind of, we kind of insert their opinions on players. You know, I think he's very comfortable with that, but I think a coach that, you know, kind of wants to dictate the process. I, I would imagine, um, you know, that's not something that would, that would be quite up his alley. We talked before about how Peyton's been very selective and how he's rebuffed the Jets twice already. This will be the third time. Do you think that it may go differently this time, that he may reconsider? If so, why? And what do you think it would take for the Jets to be able to get Peyton to actually say yes to them? You think it would require them giving him full control of the 53-man roster? Um, I, I think control is going to be a big part of it. I mean, again, this is all kind of speculation. Um, my guess is that, uh, you know, if, if, if he said no to the Jets a couple of previous times, he probably gave them reasons, reasons that are likely either, you know, subject to a lot of change, like maybe his family situation, or at least not permanent, right? He probably didn't say the Jets are just not the kind of franchise I want to work for or anything like that. Otherwise, I wouldn't keep contacting him. Uh, so, uh, my, my guess is, uh, that, uh, it, it would probably take a change in his personal circumstances, and it seems like he's been more open to talking to teams in the past couple of years than he was in, in years before, so maybe that's the case. Um, and, uh, likely, you know, a degree of control so that he can say he put his stamp on the team. Because, you know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people want to say, you know, hey, I want to succeed, and if I succeed, I want it to be on me. If I fail, I don't want it to be on anyone else, right? So I think that that's kind of just a big part of, of why he said no or yes to a bunch of teams um, is kind of the perception of how much control he would have over the course of, uh, of his you know time there. I'd imagine it would take quite a check, too, because from all the promotions he's gotten, he's got to be one of the highest paid assistant general managers in the league at this point, right? I would imagine, you know, this is stuff that, that you know, because there's no, uh, you know, NFL, FOA or anything like that, there's no front office association publishing salaries. You know, we can't tell, but my, I suspect he's something like kind of the, the Kirby smart of college defensive coordinators, except at assistant GM. He could be making that Wade Phillips money, general manager salary for a guy who's second in command. But I want to ask you this, Arif, based on everything we've talked about, based on everything you know about Peyton 
if I were Christopher Johnson and not Scott Mason, the host of Play Like a Jet, I'm the acting owner of the team. And I call you up because I'm a very rich and a very powerful man and I can get anyone's phone number with the snap of my fingers. And I call you up and I say, Arif, this is Christopher Johnson, acting owner of the New York Jets. Big fan of yours. Read your work all the time in The Athletic. I listen to your podcast. I follow you on Twitter. When it comes to the Vikings, there's no one better. And I never miss anything that you do. So there's no one I trust more about this situation than you. And I want to know. We just brought George Payton in for an interview. And he seems pretty good. But there have been other good candidates. Kind of wavering. I'm not sure who I should hire. But I trust you. You've been around this guy for a really long time reporting on him. What do you think? Should I hire George Payton? What would you say? I'd say yes. I think that there's been a ton of retreads in the league. Uh, a general manager, they tend to consistently fail. And I would say, you know, get a guy from an organization that has decided to stay with the same general manager in front office uh, for, you know, over a decade. Uh, get a guy that's been around success that might have his own kind of spin on philosophies, but that's been a big part of that success. So, uh, you know, obviously you'd have to weigh him against kind of all these other candidates, but uh, he has a remarkably strong resume, and I'd say among non-retreads, he probably has one of the strongest. You think Darnold would be an important factor here, too? Because, like you said, I'm sure he's told them reasons. One of them might be they don't have the pieces that he wants, but I would imagine that having a quarterback that many people believe could be a franchise quarterback would be a very attractive thing for somebody that's interviewing for a front office job. Yeah, uh, I, I would imagine that, you know, if he's got a, a strong opinion of Donald as, as the Jets coaching staff does, um, that that would be kind of a big part of, uh, of saying yes or no. Um, because, you know, any GM will look good if, uh, if, the, if there's a franchise quarterback elevating the play of all their picks. So let me ask you this. If George Payton were here, what do you know about his thoughts on the two cornerbacks, Trey Wayne's? and Xavier Rhodes, because the Jets have a pretty dire need at cornerback. There's been some rumors that the Vikings might be shopping those two guys. Maybe Peyton calls his old boss, Spielman, and says, hey, we need a corner. What do you say? Will you trade me Xavier or Trey? What do you think? Could that be a possibility if Peyton were to come here? I think it would actually depend a lot, and this is what I mean about uh, the collaborative nature of the Vikings front office. There's been a lot on what that, what that defense needs, uh, especially with Trey Waynes, who's, I think, a very system-specific cornerback. Because um, he looks really good in the Vikings system, and I think he'd look really good in a lot of the cover three systems that exist around the league, and I think he'd look really bad in a bunch of other systems. Uh, and so I think the first thing he would do is uh, talk to whoever the Jets defensive coordinator is, whose name I've completely forgotten, uh, and say, hey, what are you looking for in a cornerback? And then if that profile matches you know, Trey Wayans, you know, he knows whether or not Trey Wayans is on the trading block. He can just call you know, uh, Rick and just be like, hey, I know what the price is. You know, we've talked about this. Let's uh, let's work something out. Um, but yeah, I think he'll be very sensitive to kind of what the the defensive minds in the building want first. The Jets' defensive coordinator is Greg Williams, and because you didn't know that, oh, he's Jesus. now put a bounty out on you. Just so you know. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> so, gut feeling. Do you think that Peyton is going to say yes to this request, and do you think the Jets have a real chance to land him? I mean, if he says yes, they do have a serious chance. Gut feeling whether or not he says yes to the request, I would say no. And that's, that has nothing to do with kind of the Jets as an organization. Um, you know, he just has said yes more often to teams on the West Coast. Maybe he just kind of wants to, to spend the rest of his time over there. So you're trying to tell me 
that he would rather be in 80 degree and sunny weather every day than shoveling eight inches of snow on a cold February day in New York. Come on. <laughs> it's 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 bizarre, I know. <laughs> I still remember when I was in San Diego once, I ran into a guy who told me that he was from Buffalo, and I said, what brought you out here? He said, I was shoveling one day, and I was freezing, and I just couldn't take it anymore, and I own a business, so I picked up and decided to just move my business out to San Diego, and so here I am. So I said, how'd it work out? He goes, well, you're talking to me right now, right? It's 4 o'clock. I'm headed to the beach. How do you think it worked out? <laughs> so maybe that's what's in the back of George Payton's mind, that if he is going to leave Minnesota, that he wants to go to a warm weather climate. But we are going to find out soon enough. And now we know all about George Payton and what he could potentially bring to the table if he were to become the next general manager of the New York Jets. And we know that because of the great insights from Arif Hassan of The Athletic. Arif, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. And I'm glad that we finally got to do a podcast together. I hope that we can do another one very soon. In the meantime, for anybody that's unfamiliar with you and your work, why don't you go ahead and let them know where they can find you. Yeah, well, first you can find me on Twitter, at Arif Hassan NFL. It's A-R-I-F-H-A-S-A-N NFL. Um, my work is all over at The Athletic, uh, theathletic.com. If you're familiar with it, hopefully, uh, you can become a subscriber if you're not. Uh, and, uh, and you can find my podcasts, uh, you know, wherever you find podcasts. So I'm on two, Norse Code, that's me and my friend James. And then also I'm on, on one with a zone coverage called The Football Machine. Hopefully that wasn't too much information all at once. Make sure that you go ahead and follow Arif on Twitter. Listen to his podcast. Go ahead and subscribe. Trust me, he's one of the best. You don't have to be a Vikings fan to enjoy his insights. I enjoy them all the time. And plus, on top of it, when weird things happen, like Anthony Barr says his stomach hurts and he felt like he was going to throw up <laughs> at the thought of even becoming New York Jet, you can get some great insight on what was really behind that from Arif. So go ahead and check out his great work. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.